Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Te Whanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Oh my gosh. Yay! It's Christmas! Well, it's the day after Christmas, but it still counts. It's delightful, and we're like a week behind. We didn't record last week because of my moving oh. shinmozzles, so I'm very excited we, to get back into it. We took the time you needed. Mm. And we can make it up over the break because I'm not working. That is true. Yes. And you're got... not working. No, I'm already stressed though. I was looking at things today being like, oh, it's Saturday and I only have another two weekends where I don't have to go to work. I'm like, oh no, it's not enough time. I'm like, no, Jen, just live in the present. Yeah. Don't be freaking out about how much time you have. I find it helps to make a plan, like just have a list of things you want to get done. Yeah. Even if it's like, I will read an entire book in one sitting or I will watch all of this television show because then I feel like I've been really productive, even yeah. if I'm just literally relaxing. Yeah, it's a good point because I hate those moments where I like do nothing all day and then I feel like I've wasted a day, even though if my plan was to do nothing. So if I'd be like, oh, today I'm just going to watch all of Avatar, The Last Airbender, then that's fine if I spend all day doing that. That's an amazing goal. I still need to watch that. I've actually just rewatched it. <laughs> I've been tumblered into shipping Zutara, which I never thought was possible it's just you know you find one fic writer who really knows what they're doing and you're like well i believe them this is my ship now i'm on board okay so because it was christmas obviously we've both had amazing weeks because it's christmas um tell me about your best three i want to hear your best three well it's been quite good this week i think my best meal and like my best moment was sort of the same thing so i had this amazing christmas day at my friend's place yesterday um just sort of got together with all the people orphaned in wellington as we call you know like an orphan's christmas um so just had like an amazing lunch and it basically started at midday and ate through till 5 p.m and then went on this Yum. glorious walk along the waterfront when the sun was out and warm and like yeah, it was the weather was great, and I spent all of Christmas Eve baking and watching terrible cheesy Netflix Christmas movies. So, which one's your favorite? I really enjoyed Holiday actually. It was so dumb. Oh. And then I also watched <laughs> a Princess Switch with um, Vanessa Hudgens playing two characters, and then a Princess Switch two where she plays three characters. I'm like, wow, Vanessa, you're really earning your paycheck here. I hope she gets paid twice. I know. Yeah, so that was my Christmas Eve just baking because I was in charge of dessert for our Christmas day lunch and it was just lovely and I also like went to the cinema with my friend on Wednesday as like the first official act of the holiday so we both finished up work at 3 p.m on Wednesday and then went to the cinema straight after and just kind of like kicked off you know the, the festive season um by watching the happiest season which is again cheesy Christmas movies which is totally my jam <laughs> but it's Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis right yeah and Dan Levine's in it as well so oh. Yep. he's lovely it was just great i really enjoyed it i mean like yeah cheesy christmas movies are all the same thing but i love them <laughs> but they should be cheesy Chris like that is that is the goal that is what you want from not, christmas movie. yeah and i'm not giving up like tonight my plan is to watch last christmas while i have my dinner so yeah um 
How about you? What was your three best this week? Um, so we always cook for Christmas Eve. That's our tradition. I am really jealous about that tradition. I keep that like that's my day. I It's almost like the one time a year I really do observe a Sabbath where like I won't answer the phone. If someone needs somewhere to go, they can come over. But like we don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always make a big meal. And we usually do a ham because my husband loves ham. But this year I got a little ham and a chicken. So we made a chicken as well. Ooh, fun. Um, and we use Sami Nostrat's buttermilk chicken recipe, which um, if you haven't watched Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, you should because it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Her book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, is also amazing. She did a podcast called Home Cooking at the beginning of the pandemic, I think. So she and Rishikesh Hirway, who's amazing, like answer people's cooking questions. Um, oh, cool. But the buttermilk chicken recipe is just chef's kiss. So good. <laughs> Every time I make it, I can't believe how good it is. And so we had most of the chicken and then I had the rest of it yesterday for like a afternoon it was so good it was so good Jen I can't believe how good this yeah. chicken is I'm jealous yeah. I want it yeah. uh, well if you come here ever I will make it for you oh well that's lovely that's a good compromise <laughs> I think my best moment was watching my kids open present I'm 100% Hi. that mom mm. and especially my son this year he got so into it is this my present and he can read the labels now so it's really exciting oh that's so sweet it was really good, but I also didn't realize, like, my niece is now, she's three in February, so she's really getting into it as well, so I just had so much fun. I was sitting on the couch, leaning over the back of it, watching her open all her presents. It was so good. I just, like, little kids make Christmas so magical. Yeah, it makes a big difference, doesn't it? Like, they really yeah. haven't been jaded yet by all the, the nonsense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved watching everybody be so excited. When they get to the age where... Christmas really starts to become magical for them that's when it's like it all switches on and I just love seeing it love it um and I think my best media I love Mary Oliver I stumbled across one of her poems it's called don't hesitate and it's from swan poetry and prose poems and the last line of don't hesitate it says joy is not made to be a crumb and I feel like that's a really beautiful sentiment for especially this time of the year yeah when I just feel so grateful and so overwhelmed with like I love being at home and I love cooking and I love eating and I love cuddle attacks and it's just a great time of year so joy is not made to be a crumb. Love that that's so good. I've really felt it this year just yeah it's sad that I can't be with my my family because you know of everything going on but I also feel so incredibly grateful compared to my friends who are like in the UK or in the US where they can't even Mm. spend time with their friends or loved ones on Christmas day and you know, we're out and about living our life, going to the movies, hanging out, going to the beach, yeah. doing all these things. And I just feel like so incredibly grateful to live in this country. <laughs> yeah. I have the same thing. It's nice to live somewhere where people actually take it seriously. Everyone's so sensible, you know. I live up the road from a hospital and the day after the outbreak, the line curved around three blocks of people just getting tested just in case. And I thought, Wow, that's amazing. They just took themselves off to do it right before Christmas, knowing they would have to isolate until their results came in anyway. And they still went right and did it. So kudos yeah. to everybody in those queues. Like, well done them. Oh, so we've had two weeks to sit on this section, yes. which is good because it was so long. Yes, it was very long. <laughs> the themes were so big, I thought. I almost couldn't get my head around it because we studied chapters 41 through 52 through the themes of yearning and necessity. Mm. It was a lot, hey. Big themes, yeah. And it's just like, even when I was writing my notes for this today, I was like, oh, I stopped. I'm like, oh, that's all of it done. And I'm like, no, wait, there's three more chapters to go. (laughs) Oh my goodness, what? And the same thing. I was like, whoops, I kind of overshot, I think. 
And it's, it's just fine. that so much happens, but it's all in the theme of them getting to know each other. Yeah. So it's really when they let each other in. Um, I'm all about George Holly shipping Puck and Sean so hard. Oh my gosh, does he ever? He's just in there matchmaking. He's really into it. I really love that. Me too. He's so cute. And he's so like cheerful and happy. And he does not believe that Joy is a crumb. I think he's definitely a hopeless romantic. Oh, he is. But he's so handsome. I think people think he's a bit of a playboy. Mm. The sheer fact that Sean says he looks like he's been doing something enthusiastically that he would look great in a vest for. And then the next minute it's like, oh, you've got lipstick on your collar. I was like, Sean. <laughs> I, I'm beginning to get a bit repressed like Thisby maybe. <laughs> yeah, I love George being like, well, everyone on this island is so repressed. Should we do the summary of sections? Yes, indeed. Who do you want to read for? I'll read for Sean. So in chapter 41, Sean spends a little time with his feet in the water and makes a few wishes. Chapter 42, Puck runs into Sean at the beach and stays with him while they watch Mutt mishandle Kor. Kor kills a man. Sean has to intervene and Puck lends a hand. She takes his filthy jacket home to wash it. In chapter 43, actual villain Benjamin Valverne agrees to sell Kor to Sean, but only if he wins the races. Dun dun dun. Chapter 44, Puck seeks absolution, but her priest isn't concerned she's actually sinned. <laughs> Chapter 45, Puck returns a jacket. Sean offers to let her ride Kor. Chapter 46, Sean desperately wants Puck to love Kor. Chapter 47, they go for a ride on Kor. Afterwards, Sean says he will see Puck at the cliffs for training. Chapter 48, Puck comes home to a clean house and a frantic Finn. Finn stays in Puck's room that night, and Puck reflects that the island only lets you keep your good memories, not the horrible ones. In chapter 49, Sean is at the Melvin sale. George Holly chats to Sean. Sean is caught between the Melvins as Benjamin plays more games with both Mutt and Sean. Chapter 50, Puck meets Mr. Holly. He buys her and Finn November cakes and gets pinched on the bottom by a local. He gives good advice and is kind to her brother, so he's basically family now. <laughs> in chapter 51, Sean meets Puck on the beach. Puck and Sean train together and she likes it, and him. And Sean finds himself invited for dinner. Chapter 52. Sean comes for dinner. Tommy Falk is there, and Gabe, and there's a good mood in the Connolly house. Sean declares his feelings for Puck while they discuss race day. Yay! Oh, oh my gosh. I can't get over it. It's such a feel-good chapter. Like, there's so much warmth and joy and just, uh, I want it to last forever. Yeah, I want to live inside that chapter. Especially, like, Tommy Falk dancing her around the kitchen and giving her compliments, and she's like... I'll take him. Yeah, he doesn't want anything from me, so I'll take him. I love that so much. That really stuck out to me because I am very suspicious of people complimenting me. Mm. I'm like, what's your motive, friend? Like, I just don't. Especially members of the opposite sex. I'm like, mm. <laughs> you're up to something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, I know what I look like. I know what my personality is. I think I'm great, but I realize it doesn't translate for other people. So I love that Puck at Whatever, you know, she's 17 or 18, she can just discern that there's no strategy or agenda behind this compliment, so she'll take it and she wouldn't mind another. And it's also like growth for her, right? I think she wouldn't have done that back in the first chapter. Like she would have really railed against that compliment, but now she's like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, I think she's seeing the difference between the Joseph Berenger just harassment and the Tommy Falk genuine affection. Yeah. Because Tommy Falk flirts with everyone. Yeah. And what I really liked in that chapter as well is like Tommy Falk saying, you know, we will come back. And that's coming after Father Mooneyham was like, you know, leaving doesn't mean not coming back. And I think that's not an, yeah. not an idea that she's really entertained up until now, that the idea that maybe actually it's not just the end of everything. Yeah, it does seem very final when people go to the mainland. It's treated by both of them as like the end. 
Hmm. Or like if they're sending stuff back or sending money back, it's not the same as company. No, no, of course not. No. So she she kind of views it as like, who cares what Esther Quinn's brother is sending her? Like absence does not make the heart grow fonder. But it is nice to have that feeling that they could come back. It's kind of like a bit more open ended. Doesn't feel quite so terrible as it did before. So what was your favorite part? I really love the whole jacket exchange. That moment when he's on the beach and he's like, my jacket. And she's like, your jacket? Like, she's so mad at him about that. And he's like, but that's what I said. She's like, that's not what you said. And it's just like this weird anger. And she's not really angry at him. She's just more like traumatized by what had just happened. Yeah, but she gets mad about the jacket and the fact that he didn't say please. Yeah, I just really love that. And I love that anger. It just... Just the world, basically. And then, you know, when she takes the jacket to him in the stables and she's kind of just holding it in front of her like a shield, being like, I have his jacket. I'm looking at for him because I have his jacket. Don't think there's anything else going on here. <laughs> so funny. She keeps insisting to herself and others that they're not involved in any way. Like, she can't explain the truth of it. He's not courting. Oh, he just turns up at her house with bread for dinner. Come on, Puck. I just, yeah. And then the jacket, like, when she's, like, <laughs> strapping Cor's legs or attempting and she's like hold your jacket i'm tired of holding it like she's just so <laughs> angry oh and has like annoyance about telling her how to strap like strap the legs i just oh yeah. my goodness the two of them and i love the scene with father mooneyham as well i don't know why but mm. i just had so much love for father mooneyham just long suffering sitting in this church being like oh and then when you know puck tells Finn watched, you know, he's given her two Hail Marys and a Columba Creed and he's like, you've been worse than that. She's like, I try to tell him. I love that bit too. (laughs) And I love that he's just like, oh, will it make you feel better if I make you say this? And she's like, yes. And then there's that line, you know, he absolves me, I feel absolved. Yeah. My theme this week was necessity and I think that's just what she needed to hear that and he was just like, okay, I'll give you this thing, even though it's got nothing to do with anything. And the other thing I'm really obsessed with, for some reason, I'm not quite sure, is this parallel between St. Columbus and the Melvin stables. Like, every time people talk about it. Yeah. You know, she talks about the, um, what are they called? Confessional being Mm. installed after the fact. Like, you know, it was put in. Yeah, it was put in after, you know, when it was built, people didn't know about prayer and confession and priests. Yeah. But, like, what was St. Columbus before then? You know, she tells the story about the natives didn't uh, buy into his particular brand of religion and then killed him and chucked him in the ocean and then he became a saint off the back of that. So I'm like, okay, mm. so the building existed before him and before religion really came to Thisbe. So what was it? Like, I'm fascinated by that. I feel like, where is where is it that they filmed? Yeah, Star Wars. Is that what you're yes. thinking of? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, like the the huts on that island and all the stone. And I just feel like there's something very similar. Like they're old, maybe like Neolithic even buildings that have just been maintained and updated. Yeah, and then turn into this church. But I like to think of it as being, like in my mind, I think it was, it's always been a site of worship and they've just Mm. adapted it to like this modern religion. And then, you know, when Puck goes to the stable for the first time and she talks about the stalls being like as if each stall is a shrine and the horse is gods within them. I'm like, this is so good. I'm obsessed with these buildings and I want to go visit them. It just makes me want to live somewhere really old. It sucks to live on occupied land, that's for sure. So much of what I don't understand and will never understand is just gone forever. Mm, It sucks. 
Um, but yeah, so those were like kind of the moments that really stuck out for me. How about you? I loved Sean in the ocean oh, making yeah. those wishes. He's standing there and he's talking about everything about me is exactly the same as mm. it was 500 years ago when Thisbe priests would stand in the frigid dark sea and give themselves over to the island. Yeah. Yep, I, I marked like, that as well. How old are you, Sean? Like, I know that he means everything around him, but it could be everything about him personally. It just kind of goes back to this thing of him, like, you know, he belongs to Thisbe in a way that other people don't. Like, he is just entrenched in it. And I love that yeah. it's something that his dad did as well. It's like this tradition. And I wonder what changed to make his dad fearful. Or maybe his dad was always fearful. Because he talks about not being afraid of things, but still... He knows that the Kapalishka would kill him. He knows that the ocean would kill him, but it doesn't mean he's afraid of them. Yeah, because on that same in that same section, he says, you know, it wasn't the ocean that killed my father in the end. Whenever Sean gets a minute and is like, okay, yeah, I'm here, I'm present, I'm pulling myself down into the soil of Thisbe. I love that. It's like mm. he has to soak himself into the, the land. I also love that he is kind of the first to make a move. Like on that point, on that line, you said, you know, give himself over to the island. I immediately just thought of our analogy of Puck being the island. And he's like giving himself mm. over to this attraction to Puck being like, okay. Yeah. But the way that Puck says, here's a guy who doesn't make a move until he's certain. He doesn't hesitate, but that means he won't. Like I wrote that down too. With Sean, there's never a move he's not sure of, even if it means not moving at all. But he's the first one to make a move to her to say that she says you will not you will not be my weakness and he says it's late for that mm. so he's sitting there basically giving his heart to her because he's already made the decision like i think you know in that same section where he's like you know some days we barely speak at all and then he's like you know but then cora and i have never needed words either so already puck is kind of yeah. like on the same level as cora and we know that cora is everything to him so he's just gone from yeah. zero to a hundred yeah because i guess he does you know because he takes a there's time to make a decision and to wait until he's certain, you know, he doesn't do anything by halves. So if you're going to be in his life, you're going to be in his life. Mm. I saw yearning a lot. I kept thinking about how like intrinsically tied these two themes were, how yearning and necessity, like you need one to have the other because you have to want things to know whether or not you need them. Mm. And there's also something to be said for Puck kind of going, you know, what do I really want? She's always telling herself that she doesn't want things that she's not ambitious that her her father's religion was one of you mm -hmm. know what you need and not what you want the interesting i found about that is like she makes that comment about you know my dad's religion was all about knowing the difference between what you need and what you want and then when malvern is having the conversation with sean he explicitly says mm. want and need are two different things i'm like excuse me are you guys the same people <laughs> i'm so confused like Puck's yeah. dad sounds, seems really kind of strict and no fun. Like he has a really rigid set of things that should happen. Because she also talks about how Finn is very much like their dad in that moment when he's, you know, upset. She relays that story about her mum buying a gelding and her dad like freaking out about it. Okay, he's not impulsive at all. No, and I think that the inability to express himself and to be flexible... That's very Finn, too. Mm. He doesn't have the words a lot of the time. And if you change things on him, it's really hard for him. Mm -hmm. As someone who deals with small people whose schedules have to be a certain amount of rigidity in order to facilitate their well-being and happiness, it can be hard work making sure that everything is as stable as possible. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I was thinking of necessity as something that you 
you have to do, you know, something that you mm. must have or that you have to do, something that's kind of like essential or indispensable. And I feel like necessity has driven almost all of Puck's actions this entire novel. Like, you know, yeah. she enters the races because of the perception of necessity to first her need to keep Gabe on the island and keep the family together and then mm. to keep the house, right? And then even in this section, you know, it's necessity that forces her to step in when Dave Prince gets attacked by Cor because she's like freaking out. She's like terrified yeah. by what's happening, but she's like, someone has to do it. And this line, there's this line where she says, you know, someone has to hold the horse. I can hold the horse. So she does these things that she doesn't really want to do, but she knows someone has to do it. There's a need to do it. So she steps in and does it. I really related to that because there's definitely been moments in my life where, you know, fight or flight kicks in and I desperately want to run screaming for the hills. But there's part of me that goes... No one else is going to do it. You're going to have to step in and do it. Um, And then Sean also, you know, all his actions are out of necessity too. The necessity to be free of Malvern, but really just his desperate need to own core. Like he cannot not have core, right? Does he need core or does he just want the freedom? Because he's losing something when he leaves. He's losing job security, which on Thisbe we know is a big thing. How long can he live on that rock where his father's house is with Cor mm. feeding his horse meat, you know? Like, how long can he really do that? How big are his savings? I grew up with that a lot, and I'm very... I want to know what your bank balance is. I want to know how far your coin stretches. Like, what's your plan? Are you going to get another job? It's interesting as well, because there's that bit where Puck, you know, she's like, maybe it's because this is the first time that I've really been at the stables, but I can't imagine leaving this behind. And she says to him, yeah. you know, wouldn't you miss this? And he's like, it was never mine to miss. I'm like, well, that's just fundamentally not true. Yeah, especially considering the conversation that George Holly and Benjamin Malvern have right in front of him. Where yeah. George Holly says all these horses bear his handprint and Malvern agrees. I think that was such a massive concession for Malvern. Here we go. This one where he says, Malvern says, Mr. Kendrick was born on a horse and he'll die on one. And maybe that's not something you can breed for. He's one of those rare men who can make a horse work for him, but never asks for more than they have. If he's told you to put your money on metal and Fundabar, then you'd be a fool not to. Good day, Mr. Holly. He didn't have to say any of that. And I just felt like that was so big for him. Because for him, he acts out of the necessity to preserve his reputation at every turn. Like, everything he does is about the name of Malvern and, like, having the upper Mm. hand and doing all these things. Like, he has this conversation with Sean in public. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wants everyone to know. It's advertising. Also, just that bit where he says, you know, the blood doesn't always come through about his own son i just wrote ouch like i know ouch i like this is this is the seed of all of mutt's discontent like this is it being said i thought they must have had a conversation that happens off screen if you will because there seems to be real tension between the two of them so i don't know if malvern has had like a disagreement about the fact that you know mutt took core out and made this spectacle on the beach well and david prince was the head groom so if sean's a head trainer then david prince was the head groom so mutt has basically just gotten rid of like mm-hmm. the other person who's in charge of the stables basically <sighs> just by being an idiot just by showing off and i think benjamin malvern's much more subtle than that mm. he prefers the game of chess not like arm wrestling and yeah. mutt wants to be the winner of the arm wrestling championship basically 
it really frustrates me how no one else in the stables stands up to Mutt. Like the fact that, you know, Puck has this observation that, he, you know, Prince seems a bit like uh, embarrassed, but also exhilarated at the fact that they're like showing Sean up, I guess. And I'm like, you people have no backbone. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Like, honestly. Yeah, I thought that was a bit more that like he's finally getting the opportunity to, to spend time with Core away from Sean's watchful eye and less about Mutt, though. Mm, maybe yeah because he's much point. older mm. and the men like all of the men of thisby basically are like ooh, water horses or they're like uh water horses but they're one they're in one category or the other and i think he's in the ooh category not the uh category and look how that worked out for him oh god i like i felt so much when puck was sitting like watching him die and she was like his eyes on me are a terrible terrible thing Mm. she did not want to spend that time with him but she did it and she stayed with him and i think that was a beautiful thing for her to do because she gave him that like he needed he needed her in the last few moments of his life and she really responded with grace and just gave him that and also i think she didn't even realize what she was doing because as sean said you know he's dead he knew it he knew. Did you not see it in his eyes? And she's like, mm. well, she's obviously not seen. You know, these men on Thursby are so blasé about death because they witness yeah. it all the time. But she's not seen it up close like that. And, you know, she gave him what he needed without even knowing. But then also the guilt she feels like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And Father Mooneyham being like, oh, do you think your hands are so special? <laughs> I loved that. I love that he said, oh, what was it? It was so good. Not everyone's hands can always be the site of miracles. We would be afraid to touch anything. I was like, this is the problem with this because no one touches anyone else. Mm. There are no cuddles, no hugs. It's too repressed. Yeah, extremely repressed. If you want to get your jollies, you have to attack an American tourist in the bakery, basically. Which also, yeah, casual sexual harassment. Thank you very much. I mean, I was laughing, but I was also like, this is really terrible of her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I did love that Puck got the opportunity to say, I don't know Sean Kendrick as well as Mary Finch knows you. She's quite dry, isn't she? She's got good zingers. I love that she's got all this practice in being a bit bratty because she's had all these years growing up with brothers. Oh my gosh, yeah. I love that when she, you know, calls Mutt out on the beach and she's like, oh, I know his name, but what's yours again? And she's like, I give him a smile, my nastiest smile that I learned from having two Mm. brothers. I'm like, oh, Puck. And yeah, like when Sean talks about her glaring at the people who've come to watch the train and she's like a few of them flinch back i'm like wow puck's really got the uh, reactions down but sean's never phased he never changes expression no matter how much she glares at him no wonder if he sees through it and is just like eh or if he's like no i just won't make any reactions with my face it's when she gets mad at him about wanting to get into her motivations for racing and she's like do you think i'm just gonna you know turn my secrets out for anyone and he's like oh i didn't know they were secrets or i wouldn't have asked she just doesn't take it personally like at all we should all be like sean i think because you know sometimes you get upset by things that people say and they don't mean it in that way at all because every human is going through something that we don't know like everyone's going through their own stuff and they're coming from a place that we can't possibly understand and if we were all a bit more like sean we'd be less injured by those things yeah but the downside is he is that way because he's used to not caring about people right? that's true that that's the nihilistic side of it isn't it (laughs) (laughs) he's gone through life just being like well it's me and this horse and that's it once his dad died it was done for him i think for a long time until he met puck really and george holly 
I also think Sean has got that classic thing where he thinks he knows more than he actually does. And I think that really came out in that section with Malvern where he says, you know, I realize that I don't actually know anything about him. Like he's had a very, he's worked for this man for 10 years and he thought that he kind of had a handle on him. And in that moment, he's like, oh, I don't actually know him. Yeah, I I imagine Malvern would be a hard person to read because you can't warm to him. He's not cuddly he's not friendly he doesn't invite confidences or ridicule he's a part and above everything Mm. in a way that sean's you know also a part and above everything but sean isn't interested in running an island benjamin malvern wants a kingdom that's interesting because you know when malvern talks about i thought about this because when puck and sean ride call she says we're giants on his back and that reminded mm. me of when Melvern told his story in the um the tea shop about when he first rode that horse he, he describes it as we returned and i was a king on his back and i was like that's kind of the same thing and that's yeah Melvern wants to be a king and own all these things but for sean and puck it's just about being giants yeah. on the back of these water horses and i also like there was this great line about when Sean remembers he has that memory of his dad taking him to the beach. Yeah, and his mother was so distraught by the storm. I really felt for her in that moment. Yeah, me They too. just left her in the house. What were they doing? No wonder she took off from the mainland if they're going to leave her in the middle of a storm. As someone who gets really <laughs> distressed by the wind, I really felt for her. Like, sometimes the wind, I just get freaked out by it. Like, when it's, like, rattling the windows, it's really intense. So mm. I could I could really relate. Um but he describes that moment. Oh, where did I? I wrote it down. He says, the horses were giants at once, the ocean and the island. And that was when I loved them. And it's just like, again, this idea of the horses as giants, but also of them at once, the ocean and the island. So if Sean is the sea and Puck is the island, then the horses are the bridge between them. The, the horses yeah. is what brings them together. Both water horses and normal horses, you know, just their love for horses. Well, and core is really the first time they touch, isn't it? Like, mm. really touch is on the back of core. Yeah. And that they're both, exp- like, I thought it was such an interesting proxy because the magic of the water horses goes into the person. Like, they, like, sync up their heartbeats. There's that weird, irresistible tug toward the ocean. But if they're both on the horse, they're both feeling it. Because at the same time that Puck starts to recognize that it's happening, Sean is already working knots into core's mane to, like, mitigate some of the effects of that magic like he's aware of it before it's happening and is already working to stop it just as she's starting to like really feel it Mm. so they're both feeling that together at the same time Mm. there's a great quote and i really can't remember who said it but it's the concept that marriage is not two people looking at each other but like two people looking at a third thing together and this felt like that third thing Mm. that the magic of the island of thisby of the water horses was coming through core to both of them it just felt like an absolute joining yeah and i really saw necessity in that as well like just in the way that sean it was just this moment where sean is doing all these things like spitting in the circle and drawing the circle and tying the knots into his hair and drawing the lines on his veins and doing all these things and that is born out of necessity as well like he has Mm. to do it it's a prerequisite of loving the water horses is knowing this magic yeah, I actually really love so much about the way that their chores are described. Because as a kid, I hated doing any sort of chores. Mm. But both Sean and Puck seem to be fine with like just doing stuff and getting on with it. And I really yeah. had to grow into that as an adult. Like I like doing things now that are considered busy work. Yeah. Because I enjoy having my thoughts to myself. But as a kid, if you had tried to get me to stop reading a book to pick up my room. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> forget it. 
they've already got this idea that like doing all of these things in the right order is their life. I wonder if that's just also, you know, a privilege thing in a way, because you know, when George Holly takes Puck and Finn to the, to Paulson's and he's talking about, Oh, you know, food is a memory. Like I'll remember this later. And she mm. has this line. Oh, where is it? Um, yeah, she talks about how she did, she's never thought about food that way because she's like, my future's not that certain that I can afford to wonder what will become of the taste later. And she's like, November ta- cakes taste pretty good to me right now. And it's like, her life is so precarious that she's never afforded herself the luxury of wondering what this is going to look like in the future. It's the same with Sean yeah. about how George Holly's like, oh, planning on staying slim or dying young because he's bought the suit to be buried in. It's like, he probably just assumed he'd die young because of what he does. And it's like, yeah. they don't afford themselves the luxury of foresight yeah there's a lot about Thisbe that suggests staying present and taking each moment as it happens and I think there's something in the yearning of that because the yearning yearning itself is like wanting for something Mm. like really strongly wanting it like more than desire which can be I would say a little more intense but shorter lived yearning is Mm. like a longer quieter thing the things I really see them both yearning is is Puck does yearn for something more permanent she wants some kind of assurance and security, even if she doesn't really recognize that yet. Walking through the Malvern Yards, yeah. looking at the things, imagining what it would be like for a moment for her to have a farm and thinking, oh, I'm not ambitious. I've never thought about this. But like she wants it. Mm. That's something that is starting to come up for her. And Sean recognizing that he doesn't want to be where he's at anymore because what he wants is something that, you know, he's been working toward for a really long time. He wants to be with Cor and he wants to be free of Benjamin Malvern. That's a yearning too. I just found it like there was so much about both of them coming into their own and really coming of age. Like this is a coming of age novel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So much about what you do with your life when you realize what you want, how you live your life, the choices you make. I feel like yearning is a huge and important part of that. If you don't have a yearning for something, then what are you going to work towards? (laughs) Exactly. What's your direction? How do you like, if you don't want for something, are you really okay with where you are at? Or does it mean that you have given up? I think people often mistake this for ambition, but it's actually a different thing. People be like, oh, I'm not ambitious, but you want something like there's something fundamentally missing. If you're not wanting something, something that you haven't really addressed maybe within yourself, like it's okay to be like, oh, I don't want to be a CEO. Like I don't have ambition. Yeah, fine. But you know, there's a reason you have to do things, right? Yeah, even if it's like the underlying compulsion to or for. And I think we see this as well, like that coming of age moment. You know, Puck asks Sean to dinner and in his head he's going, oh, I've got so much to do. I have to do this. I have to do this. All his chore list Mm. and stuff. And she's like, oh, you don't have to come. And he's like, no, no, I'll I'll find time. And even in his head, he's like, I don't have time. But suddenly... You know, his priorities has shifted and he's like, you know, Sean 10 chapters ago wouldn't have done that. I love it so much. That really gets me, especially because he noticed how quickly she hid her disappointment. Mm. And he was like, if you don't know to look for it, it's gone before you see it. And I was like, ooh, he's seeing her look the way he sees core. He knows everything that's going on in her face. I'm the kind of person who I think every emotion is probably written on my face. Like if someone says bad news to me, I'm just like, yeah, I can't keep a straight face at all. I'm the same. I'm very expressive. Like I'm always pulling faces and I'm like, why am I doing this? I'll be sitting in a work meeting and I'll be like, what are you doing with your face right now? Yeah, same, same. Like inappropriate times. I'm just like, ooh, cringe. Or like reading a book and I go, ooh, good thing we're not out in public anymore at the moment. Just, <laughs> just saying. Um, But so like Sean's ability not to have anything written on his face, that 
suggests to me that he's really good at reading other people so that he knows what to put out mm. to the world so that the world won't interact with him unless he's chosen for them to. Yeah, and that's interesting how when, you know, Puck's looking for him on the beach when Mutt's on court, she's like, I know where to find him. You look for where there's no movement. And a little apart from the rest of the crowd. So she's already gotten onto that thing that he's always, yeah. Also, I love that when they're in the stable together and she says, something tells me that my spit wouldn't do as much for Cora as yours does. Yeah. And he goes, maybe not yet. And she's like, yet? yet? I yeah. have never heard such a fine <laughs> word. She doesn't even like the water horses and she's still excited about the possibility of a yet. Yes. I mean, this is basically her taking her shirt off, right? Like, yeah. emotionally. <laughs> And I also love, like, you know, we see that with Sean when George Holly's like, ooh, Kate Colony- Connolly does have you bothered. And he's like, bothered isn't the word for it. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to be out there, encore. Yeah, instead of simmering in this coat. I'm like, yeah, you're simmering because it's hot, but also because you're hot and bothered. Yes, he's very bothered. And I love that. I love that George Holly is the one who's like, okay, I see it. I love that he's doing it to both of them, though. Like, as soon as he had the option to, like, get into Puck's head as well, he was right in there being like, don't wait for Sean to recognize that he's lonely. Mm. I also love that he described Sean as, like, an odd bird and therefore I like him very much. Yeah, in this section, I really felt like George Holly has become like the fun uncle to both yeah. of them. Yeah. He is somebody who will come and stay with them in years to come at their house. Yeah. And I hope play so. with their kids. <laughs> and like, you, you know, he's just, he's going to be part of their lives from here on out. I also just kind of enjoy that he's kind of, he comes across as this, like, you know, playboy, rogue, vagabond kind of devil may care. He laughs an offensively American kind of guy, but he's also so smart and he plays this really dangerous game with Malvern. You know, it probably spiraled a bit out of his control when he's in the yard and that whole thing with Mutt happens. But when he sets up this thing about Sean's so amazing and Sean's so great. And yes, I tried to lure Sean, but he's so loyal to you. I'm like, what are you doing, George? You're playing a dangerous game. I thought that was really interesting. It felt to me like he was doing his best to make Sean's path easier. Mm. He definitely didn't say, oh, you know, I offered him a job weeks ago, which was the truth. He said, oh, I I tried to steal him away, but he's too loyal to you. And he knows that that's not the case. Like he's 100% aware that Sean does not want to be working for Benjamin Malvern anymore. But he's trying to stack the odds in Sean's favor. Like he's trying to give him the upper Mm -hmm. hand in all his interactions Mm -hmm. with Malvern, which I just think is so shrewd. And generous. He doesn't like he has no reason to do that other than he likes Sean and he wants to help him. Yeah, he's so generous. Like the whole interaction with Finn as well with like... You know, when he asks him all these questions and his genuine enjoyment of everything is also just lovely. I underlined the bit where they were both looking at the November cakes as they were freshly set out with boyish wistfulness, like they were yearning for those. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's like every guy I've ever known and food. Yeah, there's definitely that like, oh, I'll never eat again if I don't eat right now. <laughs> Like Holly takes a bite, honey slipping over his lips and closes his eyes in a pleasure so pronounced that it's hard to tell if it's exaggerated for Finn's benefit. And I love this idea that he would do that for Finn when he'd be like, oh, I'm going to make this a big thing. But he probably just lives his life like that, you know, like enjoying every moment for what it is. He's a bit like, he's like Jack Harkness. Yeah, he's always looking for the hopeful path, which I like. On Thisbe, I think it would be very easy to get bogged down and to sort of fall into the necessity yeah, but definitely. George Holly introduces a little bit of something more, a bit of luxury, a bit of yeah, allowing yourself to have a bit more fun because I think that's the thing, like indulgences maybe. 
Yeah, because they're too too much austerity on Thisbe, right? Everyone is just way too serious all the time. Because another place I saw necessity as well was in like in the way everyone on Thisbe sort of panders to the tourists. Like you know, this hotel was built for tourists in mind. They all put out stalls, and Dory Maud is like going out of her way to sell these bells to tourists by like yeah, you know, because they have to, because this is how they make their money. Even even Malvern is dependent on the tourists to come and buy his horses on that one day of the year like that funds the the yard for the rest of the year so even he is like he has to kowtow to the people who come to Thisbe but aren't residents of Thisbe yeah it's a very odd place I I can't really get a handle on what it would be like to live there to have so many of the little luxuries that I take so for granted to be out of reach I mean the Gabe and Tommy were talking about it at that dinner right oranges yeah. every day and bands and cars all of these miraculous, wonderful things that, I mean, I ordered four oranges to be delivered to my house tomorrow morning off the internet this afternoon. Like, Although, yeah, I did really I feel think for, about it. I felt for Tommy when he was talking about bands. I'm like, that's how I felt living in Australia. And then I moved to New Zealand. I'm like, oh, there's even less here. Great. I think when you're young and maybe ambitious, living somewhere like that is really useful. And I think maybe Gabe has a lot of ambition that we're not seeing yeah, he probably does have things that he wants to do that we just don't know about. I just feel like his yearning at this point is to get away from the situation he's in. Yeah, and I think I definitely saw necessity in, in Gabe as well, because when, you know, Puck is talking to Father Mooneyham, he says Gabe has a problem too, and leaving is how he feels he can solve it. Like, for Gabe, it's an absolute necessity yeah. that he leaves. Like, you know, I can't bear it. Finn echoes that when he says, I can't bear it, because he doesn't know where Puck is. But I also thought, in the way that Sean imagines his life without Core, he can't bear that either. Yeah, I think without Core, he doesn't know who he is, right? So he, yeah. he can't really afford to not have Core there if he doesn't really have the identity his own identity worked out mm. because he and Cora are so much the same. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think there's a lot that they need and a lot that they yearn for, but I wonder what the intersection of what they can't bear has to do with yearning and what, what it has to do with needing. Mm. Because Puck thinks she's not going to be able to stand it if Gabe leaves, but he's already been gone. So she's starting to come to terms with that. Every solution ends with Gabe leaving the island. She even says that. So she's starting to get to the point where she can really think about what will actually be better for him versus what she wants. That's kind of that thing that everything can be born, right? Like, you know, when you go through a massive heartbreak or something and you're like, oh, I can't bear this. I'm never going to be the same. Or, you know, you, you go through grief of some mm. kind and you feel like your life will never recover. And then a year later, you're like, oh, oh yeah, that was a thing. And that's not to say that it doesn't still matter to you, yeah. but it's just you've learned to live with it. The impact is real, but you do get past it. You do get through it. Yeah. Humans just have this amazing capacity to just adapt, right? We just build around these things and move on. Um, so was there any other yearning bits that really jumped out at you? Oh, there definitely were. So I think we got a lot of Gabe's yearning last time. He and Puck had that conversation. So now they're being more honest with, with each other. And it gives her a little bit more context. So when she does talk mm. to Father Mooneyham about how she's feeling and how angry she is that her brother is leaving, he's able to give her context for it. And that sort of makes it easier for her to understand that this is something that Gabe needs to do although she has just thought it was something he wanted to do because she feels like she needs to ride the races and he points out that like well that's one solution to the problem there are other solutions probably maybe not as drastic or as quick or as effective but yeah probably in the same way that sean quitting because he can't buy core is probably not the only solution available to him 
Yeah. Well, and that had such dire consequences, right? Before David Prince is killed by Kor, Sean is watching this all and he's thinking of how it hurts him and how it's hurting Kor. And he says, this is all my fault. Mm. And Puck's like, well, I don't want to say that it's not because like when I'm miserable, I want to know that people see that misery yeah. and are also miserable. So she's like, yep, it probably is your fault, but don't worry. In like half an hour, it'll be over. And boy, it is over in half an hour, but like not in a way that anyone expected. And there are huge consequences. Like a person loses their life. So I do wonder about that detachment Sean has, if it's maybe because he is around death so much that he just can't really form those attachments with people. He needs to be able to do his job. And I wonder if that's why he's so apart from everyone. I also found it interesting, though, that he makes that observation that, you know, that wasn't core that did that is because they put all the bells and stuff on him. Like, you know, he's yeah. like, you can't just hang every bell and there's to be on every horse in the sea. You know, you, you can only you use what only what you need. And I thought that was quite interesting. And it just showed kind of Mutt's complete misunderstanding. It reminded me of the false alpha, beta, omega wolf pack studies that were done where the guy had them in captivity and the wolves of course behaved in this really specific way and so he like backward extrapolated that they would be like this in the wild when actually in the wild they're like a family sharing responsibility thing where like several wolf mothers will get together in like a den and raise multiple litters and like it's very different very collaborative and not at all like alpha male I was thinking that like when you put the bells on core he becomes that wolf in captivity like Sean really struggles to make sure that core isn't lethal but also is respectful of what core is which Mutt mm. is incapable of being yeah and that's kind of with sean as well like you know you need to respect sean in his natural environment which is not putting the societal expectations on him to behave in a certain way mm. so i'm wondering if he's so removed from the people around him that the only way he feels that connection that deep connection that he needs is the magic of the Kapalushka. And he's just starting to realize that, like, actually other people are there and can provide a connection for him too. Something kind of addictive about that as well, right? Like, if Sean, yeah, he's chasing that high the whole time, the high of being on core. Yeah, and it gets to Puck too because she's thinking about that ride. I love them so much. I love that they're falling in love. It's beautiful. I <laughs> love that he holds her wrist to feel her pulse that to me was huge that yearning that he he allows himself that he wants to feel how she's feeling mm. that's as close as he can get to her and i mean like he lets her right call that's a big thing and like when he's like i'll need you to hold him when i get on can i trust you to hold him mm. you know this idea of trusting yourself trusting sean trusting yeah they're trusting each other and she says that to george holly she says i know i know not to trust anyone on the beach except dot 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 yeah, and then when Sean says, you know, oh, we'll be riding outside on your other side. I mean, wow, what a moment. Because he is saying that in the end it will be the two of them. Mm. And he will protect her as well. Like, Yeah, yes. So much of that is just him basically saying, I love you and I won't let any harm come to you. And he says that to her in the bar and he says, I won't be the one to harm you. I also love that when she says, but mostly I think about the way he looks at me with respect. And I think that's probably worth more than anything. I'm like, it's... Yeah. It's not just, yeah. you know, attraction. It's like she appreciates the fact that he's really good with the horses and that he does a good job and he respects her and like her lack of fear. And even the groomsmen and um, at the stables, right, who are like, you know, yeah. you've got a head of hair of you to ride your pony. And she's <laughs> like, oh, I think that's a compliment. I don't know. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. And I think for these grooms, you know, who like work mostly with horses, but then also have to put up with the Kapalushka for all these things. And, you know, they're all kind of afraid of them. They probably admire Puck a lot, I think. Like I would in their position. 
Yeah, it's almost like her ignorance protects her. But now that she's spent more time with Sean, she knows more. Sean sees people who are afraid of these horses all the time. So to see her just act so naturally with them is yeah. just amazing. Mm. No peg this time around. No, no peg. But lots of Dory Maud and lots of Elizabeth. And what is with their not wanting Puck to repeat herself? Maybe they want her to be more like Sean and only move once she's convinced that she knows what she's, <laughs> you know, going to do. These chapters were so big and so full. It's hard to narrow them down to just a few points, isn't it? Yeah. I just feel like it was steeped in all of the wanting of things and the growing into things and really deciding what they need and what they don't need, what's necessary and what's just wishful. And also allowing themselves to want things because I think, you know, Sean certainly up until this point has not allowed himself to want stuff right he's never acknowledged that he wants things but he's suddenly by knowing puck he's suddenly realized oh i do want things all right was there any marginalia that we just have to talk about i've kind of raised all the ones that i really wanted to talk about already so how about you um oh i definitely had a few i was very selective because i'm like oh otherwise we're gonna be here for four hours (laughs) (laughs) i know i did mine today so that i would purposely narrow it down i was like i'm leaving it to the last minute so i can't spend hours and hours on it (laughs) i really love this particular line when he's talking about trading with puck where he says there's just the air past my ears and the slender moon of her fleeting smile in my direction and the familiar weight of core in my hands Mm. and then a couple pages later i no longer question why i'm training beside her it's because you're falling in love with her mate yeah Mm. shock <laughs> she compares him to the moon too because she talks about how the the moon out her window reminds her of his finger on her wrist mm. taking her pulse after that ride so i was like "Ooh, there's a little something there because the moon is in charge of the tides so i was thinking there's definitely a triangle there between thisby the sea the moon yeah and then we have puck the horses and sean or even puck and core and sean and she describes core as being lupine too at one point which yeah. i noted yeah i noted that as related. well mm-hmm. wolfie <laughs> yep i think that's about it for my marginalia i mean i underlined most of the chapters but it's so much good stuff here I just want to end on this one line where she says, And all the while I try very hard to keep my eyes from darting to Sean because I'm quite certain that no one at the table will be able to miss how I look at him and how I find him looking back. I can't handle it. It's so much. The feelings are so much. Good times. So I guess uh, we're on to character spotlight then. Okay, who are you going to spotlight? So I'm going to spotlight George Holly again. Oops, from last time. That's okay. It's been a couple weeks. I just absolutely loved his kindness in this. You know, I love that he is such a debonair, man about town, suave guy, but he actually just is just kind at his heart. Like the way he treats Finn in this chapter, how he goes out of his way to make sure that Finn enjoys it and like buys him all these snacks and like whether or not he pretends to be really into it or not. But, you know, you can't tell because he's so sincere about it. Also, the work that he does with Sean to, like, promo him to Melvin, I think, is a real generosity. And ultimately, his shipping of Puck and Sean just brings me such joy. (laughs) So I think, you know, yeah, to everyone who just, like, lives life in the moment and just really makes the most of these pockets of joy the way that George Holly does, that's just amazing. Shout out to all those people. He is amazing. I concur. He's fantastic. How about you? Who are you spotlighting? I really want to talk about Finn. I have been that anxious before. I think I spent most of my life with an undiagnosed anxiety disorder. I only really got it sorted out in my early 30s. And life is so much better 
on anti-anxiety <laughs> medication. Yeah. Let me just say it. But I know the feeling where he can't even speak because he's so wound up. And I see it happening with my kids sometimes. And mm. I feel so fortunate that I understand it from the inside out. I just, I really felt for him, especially the anxiety cleaning and mm-hmm. not wanting to lose his sister. I mean, it's hard enough when you have anxiety and you live in a perfectly normal part of the world where nothing really ever bad happens. Like, things do happen. But, like, if you lived on Thisbe where murder horses routinely came out and tried to kill you and your family, that would be much worse. Yeah. Because you actually have something to be anxious about. I love that he is loved and accepted and that Puck does her best to take care of him even if she doesn't always know how. Finn was going to be my (laughs) other option because I just thought when he drags his bed in to sleep with her, I'm like, oh, Finn, bless you. Did you learn anything or want to reflect on anything from this week i think what i wanted to just reflect on is this it kind of ties into this poem that you mentioned before you know what was it about the crumb of joy joy is not made to be a crumb yeah yeah and i think george holly Mm. really embodied that you know and i think yeah i wanted i think living in the moment is such a powerful thing like yes it's great to have plans and yes it's good to think ahead and do all these things but sometimes it's good just to live in the moment and I think you know earlier when I was worried about oh I only have two weeks leave left like that's you kind of lose your life if you're worrying about the future and I think that's what George does he just yeah he takes for granted that there will be another day and another November cake and another good meal and the memory will be there and you know Puck calls it a luxurious um, practice and it probably is but we only have one life so we yeah. might as well luxuriate in the moments right yeah and sometimes I do say oh in another life I'd be a teacher or oh in another life I would do this and I'm like well I only have the one is that something I really want to do or do I just think it's interesting and sometimes even casting that framework around it mm. changes the way I think about it because sometimes you have this like the sadness about something you didn't learn you're like oh I always want to do that and I never have time and then if you just stop and go well if you really wanted to do it you would make time so stop obsessing over that and feeling bad because you haven't done it you don't actually care that much Puck and Sean are really good at that they know it's essential but they haven't quite learned the other side of it Mm. which is finding the little bits of joy turning the crumbs into loaves yeah how about you is there anything you wanted to reflect on this week I feel really called to just spend the time Like really, yeah, I don't know, breathing in my kids, loving them Mm. extra hard. It's Christmas, so we have all this time off and my husband's off work, which is just, it's a side effect of the pandemic because no one can go in anyway. So he's never taken leave over Christmas. He usually uses this time to um, go into the office like the two days a week and clean out his desk. But he wasn't there all year, so he has nothing to clean out. So he's just like, well, everybody gets three weeks off, so we're just going to spend it together. And I really feel like I just want to be with them feeling this magic even if it's just magic that we create together um mm-hmm. building endless lego sets and making pasta play-doh and being pretend outraged when my son steals my tape dispenser for the eight millionth time and i say hey that's <laughs> mine and he goes not anymore because it's hilarious and i laugh every time <laughs> so i'm just gonna really like spend the time with my family there will be music and joy and watching episodes of QI after my kids go to sleep and working on my tapestry that I started this week and just yeah just really drinking my tea that you gave me for Christmas thank you I had some mulled wine earlier mulled wine flavored tea it was lovely I was so intrigued by this festive tea I was just like I must get it yeah the teapot (laughs) is beautiful as well and it does look exactly like something Puck would make yeah, I thought it did. We'll have to do some pottery painting when I come to visit you. Oh, yes. Do some dots and some spirals. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. We'll have to make our own 
our own Thisbee teapots. I think that would be mm. a perfect activity. Uh, so next week, we're going to be reading chapters 53 through 58 through the themes of awareness and grief. Only it's not next week because we're going to chat on Wednesday, aren't we? Yes, we are. I know. So we're wrapping up quickly before you go on a holiday, which you much need and much deserve. Um, yeah, it's so like we only have three sections left. It's quite something. I know. I know. I was getting to the end. I was looking at we were getting to the end and going, oh, my gosh, I don't. I'm, we've, I know we've picked our book for next time and we'll talk about that in a couple of episodes. But I've really enjoyed being in this world. It's been great. It's going really to be hard to leave this view, isn't it? It is. Yeah, definitely. Mm. But we'll savor the moments while we have it. We're exactly. not going to think about the future. We're not going to wish it away. No, exactly. Thanks for potting right. with me, Jen. Thank you for potting with me. Always a delight. It is a delight. It's a great time. My favorite time of the week. Same. <laughs> well, I'll see you in okay. a few days. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.